Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. There are very powerful people who want to keep you out. Oh, no, they do. But they're willing to put their money where their mouth is in a big way. So, this conversation never happened. This is crazy, though. They should want me. I'm a great candidate. People love me. These people are corrupt. A few days ago, out of the blue, I just started watching it. And I was so horrified by what I heard. It was so much worse than what I remembered it being when I was in the middle of that conversation with Jeff DeWitt. So yes, we're doing what Texas is doing, because we're trying to secure the border to protect our citizens. Let's stay focused on what this bill is simply saying is, you can't sell something that you don't have the legal right or possession of that actually belongs to someone else. Her response was um, uh, really unexpected, um, took us all by surprise. Uh, It was uh, laced with profanities about several members of the city of Tolleson. And with me to talk about Jeff DeWitt resigning as chair of the state Republican Party amid charges of bribery, a new state effort to deal with immigration and more, or Lorna Romero-Ferguson of Elevate Strategies. Hi, Lorna. Good morning. And Democratic strategist Tony Connie. Tony, good morning to you. Good morning. So, Lorna, we have to start with Jeff DeWitt, Carrie Lake, secret recordings. You guys both know this show is being recorded. Um, so this is not just a private conversation amongst friends. Thank so. you for the heads up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's, I, there's a lot obviously, to unpack here. But, Lauren, I'm curious, like, what are your sort of 30,000-foot takeaways from all of the stuff that went down this week? I I mean, what a jam-packed five-minute audio clip that we were all um, blessed with this week. I mean, I just felt really uncomfortable listening to the entire thing because, one, the dialogue was so dramatic from both of them, right? Um, And, two, I mean, if Jeff DeWitt, if his goal was to convince Carrie Lake not to run for the U.S. Senate, right? Which conversations like that happen all the time when, sure. when you talk to, to potential candidates, right? But, I mean, what what a odd way to approach it. I mean, to talk about these, you know, these important, powerful people in the East Coast and, and then her making allegations that they're going to kill her if they don't do – if she doesn't do what they want. I mean, the whole thing was just absolutely bizarre, Um and it just goes to show the, even more the dysfunction within the Republican Party that these are the conversations that are being had behind closed doors. Well, and, and also the number of times now former Chairman DeWitt said some variation of don't tell anyone this conversation never happened. Like to Lorna's point, these conversations do happen from time to time where somebody in a party will tell a candidate, hey, maybe it's not your time. Maybe, if, you know, this would be a better office for you. This this race doesn't look so good for you. But not they don't happen in this way. No, they don't. It, this is they don't happen in this way. To everybody who's listening, they normally there's not a like what'll happen is somebody will try and convince a bad candidate, which Carrie Lake is, hey, maybe you shouldn't run, maybe this is a better opportunity for you. Um, I'll support you if you do this in two years instead of now, this kind of stuff. You don't hear somebody say, Hey, name your price. That 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 part's not even normal, let alone the you know, the stuff about you know, murder. I mean, my big takeaway listening to this, aside from just the dysfunction, is how completely consumed with conspiracy theories the two most powerful Republicans in the state are. That they, that this, it just, you know, like it just shows what's happened when 
you're surrounded by people that will continually push conspiracy theories. Apparently, you just start to believe more and more and more. And it's just like a dangerous thing for these people to be in power if this is the way they view the world. Because I'm saying I do not believe that Carrie Lake would be murdered by these powerful rich people back east, right? Or maybe there are Republicans that are willing to do that kind of thing. I don't think so. Um, and so it's just it, – it, it, it just shows how she's not prepared to be in any sort of public position. Well, so Lorna, how does this impact her candidacy? I mean she went on, on Rumble that, that night to you know, talk about what happened and raise money off of it. Like does this – how does this affect her, her Senate candidacy? I mean it gives her something new to talk about, right? Um, she's not beholden to – uh, the powerful, you know, moderate Republicans or the globalists, however they want to frame them the, the, uh, that day. Um, so she'll use that. She's been using it to fundraise. I mean, immediately a fundraising right. e-blast went out. And so that's what she's going to capitalize on. And so she's just going to continue to use it in her stump speech to say, you know, even people in my own party are trying to, you know, knock me out. Even people who were once my allies, who were Trump supporters, et cetera. So, I mean, from a fundraising perspective, yeah, she'll be able to see an infusion of cash. I mean, it only solidifies her existing base. I don't know how, I mean, a few months ago we were talking about how she was making the attempt, and I do this in air quotes, <laughs> to appeal to a broader audience yeah. and more of the moderate centrist Republicans. This isn't the way to do it necessarily with this kind of narrative and these talking points. And so I'm not sure what the long-term strategy is. And I think it just ends up bringing up more questions of, you know, this absurd conversation happened 10 months ago. Why did you sit on it for so long? If you were absolutely appalled by the behavior and the words coming out of Jeff DeWitt's mouth, why did you wait till now? I mean, that's a legitimate question that she should answer. So you both talked about party dysfunction, but I'm curious, like, is that like what difference does that make in 2024? Like, does the fact that the state Republican Party is mired in this controversy and is now looking for a new leader, like, does that how what kind of impact does that have on on Republicans running? Uh, Zero impact because the party has been um, not effective for probably a decade, if not more. Mm. I mean, major donors have been putting their cash elsewhere, not through the party infrastructure. The only thing that the AZ GOP under the leadership of Kelly Ward and others, all they've done is lose Republican seats. We lost statewide seats significantly um, because they catered to the Trump rhetoric and the Trump element of the party and not tried to broaden uh, their reach. Some had hoped that maybe DeWitt could bridge the gap Obviously, we see where that's ended up. (laughs) But, I mean, the party in and of itself isn't all of a sudden going to become some kind of functioning entity after this. Well, and Tony, it's worth mentioning that, you know, Jeff DeWitt, to Lorna's point, was seen as somebody who could maybe, you know, work with both moderates and the the Trump base. But it's worth noting that he worked for Trump in his administration and worked on both of his campaigns. This is not, you know, this is not some squishy rhino to, you know, to use a, a phrase that Kerry Lake might use. Yeah, I mean, he was the first person in Arizona to endorse Trump when he was looking for legitimacy. And yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I, the thing that I think this is going to do, the Republican apparatus, the way Lauren is saying, that's true. They're terrible, Right. But I think the way this impacts candidates is this is like a big, sexy story. This is the kind of thing that somebody is going to just remember, right, even if they're not political. Like it's going to imprint in their mind. And I think it's just another in a string of these chaotic things that are branding the Republican Party as not serious, mm. as maybe weird or dysfunctional and all that kind of stuff. And so like 
even if people, it's not like people are going to on the when they vote, they're going to be like, "Do you remember how that guy did X Y Z?" But instead, it it you know it it starts to convince people that the that Republicans can't be trusted, or there's something weird going on with Republicans. And I think that you know enough of this stuff happens, especially in Arizona, that it's part of the reason why Democrats are winning in races. That mathematically, if there was you know, a normal Republican Party and a normal Democratic Party would be more challenging for Democrats with, you know, the voter registration numbers. And so I think that that's very significant. Tony, do you think there are going to be more tapes coming out either with Jeff DeWitt or other people? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hear a lot of people like hope that Stephen Richer and his defamation lawsuit against Kerry Lake tries to subpoena some of these recordings, you know, so that they come out. I, of course, just as a person who likes the drama, would be really interested in <laughs> really interested in that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess it depends on how much money thinks she thinks she can get from each one of these recordings that she releases for fundraising. And, you know, and also whether or not there are people who she met with during her tour of mainstream Republican business type people. If they start turning on her, is she going to start releasing audio from like the conversations that she secretly recorded of them when she was courting them? Mm. And yeah. so like I – we'll see. Like I, I don't know who's going to be willing to sit down with her and have a conversation if you're worried that she's going to be video recording you. So, Lorna, this makes tomorrow's meeting of the state Republican Party just a touch more interesting, don't you think? <laughs> those are usually interesting just in general if you've ever participated or observed any of those. <laughs> but yeah, a lot more interesting. I mean now they're get, they are pushing their new slate um, of, you know, the Carrie Lake-backed candidates. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, Carrie Lake wanted to have a Republican Party leadership team that backed her 100%, right? Okay, that's what's going to end up happening. Great. But again, like I said, the apparatus itself is not going to be a well-oiled functioning machine to her benefit. It did not work out last election cycle for her. I don't think it's going to work out for her this upcoming election cycle. What I do think this creates, though, is an interesting environment where maybe Kirsten Cinema is going, hmm, maybe as I'm considering if I'm going to jump in or not, all of this internal dysfunction within the AZ GOP, maybe there's an opportunity to jump in and be the adult in the room. I don't know. If I was Kirsten, I'd be looking at this a lot differently now. Well, that is really interesting. So one last thing on this. Uh, former President Trump supposed to be in Phoenix this afternoon for a, a big fundraiser for the state party. That was canceled ostensibly because of he had to be in court in, in New York. Um, how significant is that? We talked about how the state party like has not done a great job of fundraising. This is a big one for them. Is this is this a significant uh, loss, potentially loss of, of fundraising for them? I mean, it's unfortunate for them, right? I mean, nobody likes having to cancel like a major event last minute, whatever. I mean, but I guess everyone should have probably thought about um, his his legal calendar and court calendar. Right? I do love that the Republican Party statement about this was, hey, listen, it wasn't our drama that made him cancel. It's not the DeWitt Lake thing. We promise. It's the fact that he's in court for, you know, whichever one of these. What a time, right. what a time to be alive, right? <laughs> he's, he's, so many he's, he's the one. He, it's his dysfunction, not ours. <laughs> uh, Vote but, for us. But, you know, Arizona is very important to Donald Trump, right? Yeah. And so he will be back. He'll right? make it up. He will make it up significantly. And he'll get a good turnout, as he usually does in this state. And so, I mean, yes, it's a minor setback for them. But they probably have more important things to focus on right now than uh, the Freedom Festival. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't know if either of you are Taylor Swift fans. Yeah, I, I, I don't I am. presume anything. I'm no, I mean, I respect her. I'm not a fan. Did you try to get <laughs> either you try to get tickets to the Eras tour? No. Yeah, yeah I went. And I, I my wife, got, my wife got the tickets. Yeah, wow. I, went, I went with my at the time 
six-month pregnant wife. Wow. So it you was, beat the bots. It was amazing. Yeah, we beat the <laughs> bots. beat the bots. Because that is – We didn't it, have great seats though because of the bots. I would think not. But th- So this was, as it turns out, an issue at the state capitol this week. Uh, I guess we found out which lawmakers are Swifties and which aren't. Uh, the legislature is looking to prevent kind of the, the mayhem that happened uh, during uh, Beyonce's tour and Taylor Swift's tour and other you know, big sporting events and other big events where you know, these bots buy up large groups of tickets and make it so that regular people can't do it. I'm curious, Tony, is, like, is this something that the state legislature can really enforce and regulate? I think I, – I, look, I don't know. I, I think that it's worth a try because the existing federal laws are obviously not working on this. And it's an opportunity – you know, Annalise Ortiz, who's the representative who's taking the lead on this, is a very smart, very effective legislator. And she is able to, you know, find Republicans to work with on this and, and this, this bill is going forward. And, you know, I think that even if it doesn't directly create a regulatory environment that fixes this problem – it is going to continue to put pressure on these companies to actually like try and you know be fair for consumers mm-hmm. and so you know i think that it's a great idea i'm glad that it got through committee and uh you know and i'm looking forward to see sort of what happens once it hits the floor this seems like the kind of bill that would be able to generate bipartisan support oh 100% i mean this is one of the consumer protection bills i think everybody understands and gets impacted by so whether or not you know these legislators themselves are swifties and try to get tickets or <laughs> try to get on behalf of their you know their children uh, i mean it's just it's ridiculous right but but the question is i mean technology is always ahead of of state law, federal mm-hmm. law, and yeah. whatnot. And so if we're going to, you know, ban certain practices or, you know, put some, you know, strengths and some regulations, these people are going to come up with another mechanism in which to do it, right, which is unfortunate. I would like for them to resolve it because I have Justin Timberlake tickets to buy next week when they go on <laughs> sale, and I don't want to get beat out by the bots. And so yeah. some, make something happen within the next Maybe JT's days. listening. Call your legislator. He can, he Justin can help Timberlake, you protect, protect your yeah, call, please. Call your legislator. Lord, it needs these tickets. <laughs> right. Let's go, everybody. Absolutely. So a, a bill, bills that probably will not be getting bipartisan support are ones that are being labeled the Arizona Border Invasion Act. Uh, This is uh, being kind of compared both to uh, SB 1070 from Arizona's past, but also uh, the the bill recently in Texas that essentially created a state crime of being in the country illegally, which is a a component of what SB 1070 did in the past. Lorna, this is obviously a very big issue, both in Congress with the the Senate trying to come up with some kind of, of border policy, some kind of immigration reform. Now here... Given that Texas is – given what happened legally with SB 1070, given what's mm-hmm. happening legally with Texas's law, wh- why are we doing this? Well, I mean the reason why we're doing this is because of the epic failure from Washington, D.C. to do anything on this issue under Republican and Democrat administrations. It's just been an abject failure. Look at – I mean SB 1070 passed in 2012 was the year. Um, And here we are 12 years later and we're still talking about border security. Nothing has really significantly changed when Mm. it comes to border security policy um, in in Arizona or what the federal government have done. So people are frustrated. And I don't blame Republicans for introducing bills and having the conversations, right? They're not legitimately happening in Washington, D.C. I mean, Kirsten Sinema is trying to broker some kind of bipartisan deal. Now we're hearing Donald Trump doesn't want it to happen because he doesn't want to give Biden a win before the election. And so... You know, all of these petty politics end up getting in the way of meaningful 
reform, meaningful action. And so, yes, of course, local lawmakers are going to get frustrated and introduce bills and have the conversation. I mean, you got to keep the pressure on Washington, D.C. Tony, can this conversation in Arizona be productive? I mean, presumably, I don't think I'm going out too far on a limb here to say that if these bills pass the legislature, Governor Hobbs will veto them. But is it constructive still to have the conversation? I but it's not it's not being this isn't it would be constructive is to actually like sit down and have a conversation with people of the other party and the governor to say how can we actually do something that maybe is legal or you know or for them to come together and to contact the people within the Republican party that are blocking the reform in the house side or the senate side and say hey you know what i understand you want to do some theater but like this is a real issue for us because i think one of the problems here is that like the number one rhetorical political issue of the Republican party at all levels right now is immigration that's the top level, the top talking point. Yet, still, when they're closer than they than maybe we've ever been to like meaningful reform packets that probably Democrats wouldn't love, right? That Senate is pushing through. It's you know, and and senators on the Republican side have been saying like, this is going to be the best deal you're going to get in your lifetime, House. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. That they that they're willing to block it. They're willing to block it for political reasons. I think it underlines a thing that's sort of been my perspective on this, which is that like. On the Republican side, the re- immigration reform is an excellent te- – or not immigration reform, but like you know, the border and immigration is basically where you go down to the border, wear that weird jacket that they all wear and you do like a TV commercial, right? Like it's just – like I've always said like if I really wanted to make money in this business, I should set up a TV studio down <laughs> there by the border where I have that same weird brown jacket. Hey, and, some Democrats have done the same. Ad. Yeah, right, right. That's right. You know, I can get some Democrats to come in yeah. too. But it, it is – it's a thing where it's like – if this is the top issue, if this is the most important thing, can we please find a way to work together? You've got, you know, and I, a separate thing is it just sort of put the entire theory of the case of Kirsten Cinema to test, which is like she says I can bring these people together, but she's also backing, you know, this filibuster rule, which is going to require her to get sixty senators when she probably already has a majority of senators. And so, you know, it's very frustrating to see the dysfunction in D.C. About this and know that it probably could be solved if people were serious. Well, Lauren, like what would it take for let's say let's just say on the state level for Republicans in the legislature and the governor or the governor's staff to really sit down and try to hash something out? Like, is that is that even a possibility at this point? I mean, anything's possible, right? And this is my optimistic (laughs) statement for this Friday morning. Thank you. Um, But there needs to be the willingness to actually seek a compromise, right, rather than just using it as a political talking point or or political rhetoric, right? Um, I mean, Katie Hobbs mentioned the border and immigration in her State of the State address, right? I mean, that is For quite a while. For quite a while. Um, And she's gone down to the border and she's met with border sheriffs and she she continues to talk about – she's sent letters – you know, she's she's criticized the, the Biden administration on this stuff. And so there is potentially a willing partner there. You just have to have the, the actual conversation. It can't just be political theater at a public hearing. And so it really depends on who's going to sit down and have the conversation. It is possible, but we are in an election year. And as Tony mentioned, everyone's using this as like a political you know, rod against the other person to just show how they're not really serious when it comes to border security. I, I do want to say that probably 10, 15 years ago, you could have had at the state legislature a legitimate conversation between Republicans and Democrats when it came to immigration border security issues. I mean, Janet Napolitano is the one who signed the E-Verify law, mm-hmm. you know, in the state, which now you have like Nikki Haley talking about it on the campaign trail that, she, you know, she's implemented E-Verify in, in, in South Carolina when she was governor. And so 
there was a time where you could work in a bipartisan way, and now it's just it's not necessarily uh, the case as much anymore due to politics. Interesting. All right. So, guys, just a couple minutes left. I want to end with uh, something from yesterday, the second uh, hearing in the ethics case against a Democratic state representative, Lisa Sun. A couple more witnesses uh, came forward to talk about what they heard her say uh, at, a, at a conference. Tony, th- like this doesn't look all that great for Representative Sun. Do you think that she is able to maintain her position in the legislature when this is done? No. I don't I don't think so. I it it it's embarrassing and I think that Democrats very clearly and early on in the leadership said, "Hey, we need to take care of this." And they, you know, referred her to the ethics committee and so I don't know who's going to be voting to defend her if it ends up getting into an expulsion vote. And, you know, I mean, just, you know, don't be a weirdo. How about how about that? <laughs> How about that being a thing? <laughs> Am I going to get emails That would be from a people? great campaign like, slogan. Yeah. Yeah. Don't I'm, be, not, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not a weirdo. And, you know, it's like, you know, I understand that, like, you know, I'm a guy who's, like, aggressive political and uh, politically and that kind of stuff. But, like, let's take these weird threats of violence and this. Like, what the heck? Like, just knock it off. It's yeah. ridiculous. Do you, do you think she survives? Uh, no, I don't think she survives. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any remorse on her part for some of, like, her behavior and the words that she's – I mean if somebody wanted to say like in the heat of the moment, I said something and I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. I take full responsibility and accountability and I'm, so, and I'm so apologetic, then maybe people would view it differently. But she's so defensive about it and she claims there wasn't a balcony to even throw the person off of the what threat that weird, she made even so though weird. there's photos of this hotel where there is a balcony that you could have thrown someone off. So it's just all very strange and there's just no – I mean politics is weird enough. We don't need violent threats against people, especially – um, you know, local government employees that are harm- harmless. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, it, the the whole like her closing statement yesterday, she had to be cut off by the chairman of the ethics committee because, according to him at least, she continued to like smack talk the people who had come to yeah, testify. Correct. Lauren, to your point, not 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 showing a whole lot of remorse. Exactly, you have to take responsibility for your words and your actions, and she's clearly not doing that. All right, we'll have to leave it there. That is Lorna Romero Ferguson, Tony Connie, also here, guys. Thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.